Well, good morning, church. How's everybody doing? You guys survive the slippery roads? I'll take that as a yes. If you're here, <laughs> that means yes. Yeah. Whew. All right, got a lot of work with today. If you have your Bibles, you can open to 2 Corinthians. We're going to be looking in this book. We've been studying this book for several months. It's been an incredible time together. We, uh, this last couple weeks in particular, um, we're looking at kind of this parenthetical section where Paul addresses giving. Uh, and, and the concepts there. Last week, Pastor Larry took us through chapter 8, and this week we're going to look at chapter 9, where Paul kind of takes a pause in the main idea of this letter to address some issues in giving. Um, when I was in college, I had uh, two friends. Well, <laughs> okay, Am I, I, I was popular, I was, but there's two friends that I want to tell you about in particular this morning. Uh, the first one, he was just about the cheapest guy I know. Now that's saying something coming from the frugal king, someone who stands in the Safeway aisles for 20 minutes deciding what the cheapest toilet paper is to buy. But this guy, he, this friend of mine, for anonymity's sake, we don't want to shame him, we don't want to look down, we'll just simply call him Ebenezer Scrooge. Okay? <laughs> So my friend Scrooge, he was always trying to penny pinch me. Like as friends, anytime we'd go on a road trip and he was always trying to weasel out of paying his part of the gas, you know. Um, hey, why don't we take your car, you know, anytime. And he'd, he'd borrow my car and bring it back and, you know, he'd never put gas into it. And he, he was always borrowing from me, you know, never returning. And it was, I mean, it was exhausting to be this guy's friend. Because he was constantly taking, 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 and, and, and I, it made me never really want to help him. Like, and when I did, when I did give to him, when I did help him, I found that it became reluctant, that I was kind of doing it begrudgingly, you know, that I was doing it because I was supposed to, you know, I'm a missionary school, I have to be nice to my friends, you know, and, but not because I wanted to. I had another friend who was the complete opposite of that, so we'll call him super awesome guy. This is what comes up in Google Images when you search for super awesome guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> we, uh, this isn't actually him, just so you know. One of the most thoughtful, one of the most generous people that I've ever met in my life. This was, this guy, I mean, this, he, was, he was my roommate for about a year. And, you know, he'd come home from the store and he'd say, oh, you know, I realized you were low on milk, so I bought you a gallon. I said, well, how much? Oh, don't worry about it. Well, you know, we'll, we'll even up later. You know, he was constantly thinking of me, thinking of, of things that if he borrowed my car, he'd bring it back, and no matter how much he had used, he, he filled up the tank. You know, he was, he was constantly asking me, you know, questions. How can I be praying for you? How can he be, he'd clean the apartment, which was very necessary. You know, he would, he would build things. I remember he was really good with wood, and he bought, he built me this beautiful box. I had no idea what to do with the box, but it was really nice of him. And and so this, this friend of mine, he's, he was just like an angel that like fell from the sky into my dorm room. One of the, the nicest friends that I've ever known. And so with, with Super Awesome Guy, I always wanted to help him. Like if I'm at the store, I'm thinking, oh, I wonder if he needs something. I could pick, him, some, pick something up for him, you know. And, and what can I do? And when I wanted to help him, it was willing. It was exciting. I wanted to go over and above for him because that's what he did for me. And in our passage today... Paul contrasts these two kinds of givers. Two kinds of givers that we're going to see as we examine our own hearts. What, what kind of a giver are we? Which kind of a friend are we? And you look for these first few verses here. 
chapter five or, or chapter nine, verse five, he says, "Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as a not as one grudgingly given." So this first contrast here is giving willingly, or or, or some, this passage says generously or grudgingly. Two different kinds of giving. Verse 6, he says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So there's a generous giver and there's a sparing giver. And then finally, in verse 7, it says, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The last contrast is the reluctant giver versus the cheerful giver. Two kinds of givers. Now notice here, in both cases, the person's giving. This isn't contrasting giving versus not giving. You know, this isn't giving versus receiving. Both of these are givers. But the difference is, one gives sparingly. One gives because it has to. One gives and it's the heart that holds back in giving. It gives because it feels like it must but, but it doesn't want to. The other one is the one that gives joyfully, that wants to share as much as possible, that's enthusiastic about sharing. So what's the difference between these two hearts? And how do we find our heart erring on the side of generosity, not reluctance? I want to answer that question this morning, and then we're going to show in the text, I believe this is a biblical concept, and I want this to be my own idea. This is what Paul says from, from God's heart and inspiration. My short answer is this, though. Our attitude in giving has everything to do with our view of God. Our heart attitude in giving has everything to do with the way that we see God and what we believe Him to be. There's two ways that our heart can view God. In light of this, the first one is there is the heart that sees God as taker. The, the heart that sees God as a taker in our lives. It's, it's like my friend Scrooge, who's God, we see God as he's always trying to get as much out of me as he can. It's like a walk with God, we feel like it's a, a lifelong tax return, right? That God just continues to show, here's what you owe me. Here's what you need to give me. He says, give me your Sunday mornings, go to church. Give me your Wednesday nights, bring your kids. You know, give me your spring breaks, we're going to go on mission trips. Give me all of your major holidays. You know, give me all, you know, any of the kind of fun, anything. Just give me, give me, give me. And it's not just our time, but we, we see this heart sees God as, as wanting to take all of our money. He says, give me 10% of everything that you have. And don't tithe your net, tithe your gross, right? This is God that just takes and he takes and he takes. And so, yeah, the person that sees God as taker, they might give, but it's out of a heart of exhaustion. It's a heart that's afraid of God and what he might do if we don't give. It's giving because we feel like God's demanding. And in that situation, we're only going to give what we think will make God happy. Here, is that enough, God? Is that enough? Now could I please have some for me? It's the heart that sees God as taker. But there's also the heart that sees God as giver. And the heart that's generous, the heart that wants to give, is the heart that believes just like my friend, super awesome guy, that God is a God who gives to us generously. That God is a God who supplies all of our needs. 
A God who is in our corner, who loves us, who takes care of us beyond anything that we could ask or imagine. And instead of a demanding tax collector, we see him as a providing father. A father who has never had a child in want. And he says, here, I give you my son. I give you this community that you live in. I give you your family. I give you the, the privilege of, of taking part in what I'm doing in the world. And we, and we see this God who's just lavishing his grace and goodness upon us. So the biggest question, the biggest question in our lives is how do I see God? How do we see God? Tozer said the most important thing about us is what we believe about God. And, and, and do we see God as a vacuum? who's just sucking our joy, sucking our resources, sucking our money up and just saying, give to me, give to me, give to me? Or do we see God like a waterfall, just lavishing his goodness on us, just dumping his blessing upon us above all we could ever ask or imagine? And so Paul's purpose in this text this morning is to show God as he really is, a God who is a gracious giver, in hopes that as we behold him and we become like him, we will become gracious givers as well. There's this amazing truth that we're going to see in chapter 9. It reminded me of Christmas time as a kid. When I was seven years old, I was broke. <laughs> Not a penny to my name, right? Hadn't it been for my parents, I'd have been a bum on the street, right? They came in at just the right time and got me back on my feet. So around the holiday times, when it came time to give gifts to people, right, to give my parents gifts, hey, you know, you guys help me out a little bit here. So they're giving me 10, 15 bucks. Here, go to, you know, you go to school, like, you know, you go to the elementary school, and you kids that are here, you know, I, I saw this recently, I'm doing my, my interning over at K Beach, they have those cheap, I remember when I was a kid, they had these, those, those plastic tables lined up in the hallways, and you could buy all these cheap little knickknacks, you know, for your friends and family, and so I'd, I'd come, you know, I'd buy my mom some nasty smelling perfume, you know, you get your dad the cheap tie, or the Lakers coaster set, or whatever, and so then, you know, you come, and Christmas morning, they're opening these presents, and, and, they, and they open them and they're just like, they're so excited. They're, thank you, Justin. That was so generous of you. Like, thank you for thinking of me and, and giving me this gift. And, and I don't know, maybe they just love seeing my typically greedy heart, you know, giving something to someone. But, but they would thank me. They would praise me for this gift. So to, so to recap here, my parents, who meet all of my needs, give me the clothes on my back, the shelter that I have, the, the food in my stomach, they then, when I, when I give them this cheap gift that they fronted in the first place, they turn around and, and they thank me. They bless me. They praise me. Like, that is a great deal. What a privilege. And, and that's the exact situation that we find ourselves in with our God. We need to understand that God, when he calls us to give, when he calls us to be generous, God is the God who gives to us before we give to anybody, and he's the God that gives to us after we give. Check this out. First of all, we need to see that God is giver before we give. Verse 8, this is incredible. Paul says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. 
This is the type of verse to put on your bathroom mirror, in your car as you're driving. This is an incredible truth to cement into our brains. He says, first of all, that God is able to give us all grace. Okay? He's not just offering these empty promises. God can, can fulfill this. And he says, all the time, he gives you everything you need to do what he's called you to do. And to be the person he's called you to be. It's just like seven-year-old me at Christmas time. There's nothing that we give to others that didn't come from him in the first place. Pastor Larry said it last week. God owns everything. Like it's, it's all coming from him. This idea of 10% yours, 90% mine, that's just that's garbage. It's, it's all from him. We have nothing but condemnation outside of what he's given us. So God's calling for us to generosity and to give to others it comes from the reality that it's not ours in the first place. And just like our parents, my parents, God meets every single one of our needs as his child. And the good work that he calls us to comes from his own place of gracious giving. So God gives to us. He's the giver before we give. God is also the giver after we give. Look at verse 6. He says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. This is a farming principle. Um, and, and, and in farming, this makes sense, right? He's saying the more seed you throw out there, the more harvest you get back. So that makes sense. But as far as math... Paul, something's here a little fishy here with Paul. Paul's idea is the more you give away, the more you get. See, and, and, and Paul, we would think 10 plus 10 gives us 20. To Paul, he says 10 minus 10 gives you 20. Because the more that you give away, the more seed that you scatter, the more that you give, the more that you'll, the more that you'll reap. The more you give away, the more you get. And it's incredible. Paul, he goes on to say in verse 10, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. So here's what God is telling us through Paul here. He says, the, the, I'm, the, I'm going to give you seed. I'm going I'm to give you what I want you to give. And the more that you take what I've given you, the more that you scatter that seed, the more harvest I'm going to bring in for you. So I'm going to supply the seed, and then as you give it away, I'm going to give you more back for what you've given from what I gave you in the first place. This is an incredible concept. And if you think if that's the case, then God, give me all the seed that I can carry. I'm lining up trucks and swimming pools and whatever I can. Fill me with that seed so that I can give it away and reap this great harvest. It's like my parents at Christmas time saying the more money that... That, that you take from me and give to other people, the more I'm going to give to you. Okay, if that was the case when I was a kid, I'd have been the most generous person on the block, right? Give me all, give me, give me, so I can give away. So there's a harvest. But the question is, what is that harvest? He talks about here, he's going to enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. What in the world does that mean? He says if you, if you sow generously, you're going to reap generously. You're going to reap bountifully. So what does that mean as a believer? What does that look like in our lives to get this huge harvest back, to get this, this huge bounty back? Because if I, know, if I know God, this is not prosperity gospel. He's not saying, the more you put in the offering plate today, the fatter your next paycheck's going to be. 
This is not, he's not thinking in the terms that we often think in, of worldly, temporary, materialistic harvest. He's not saying give more money and I'll give you more money and possessions back. So let's look at these four ways here in which God rewards us, gives us a harvest when we cheerfully give to others. Harvest number one. We are an encouraging testimony to others. Go back to the, ch- the beginning of chapter 9. He kind of gives the context of what's going on here. It says, verse 1, There's no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints. <clears throat> for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year in Achaia, you were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. What he's saying here in the context, there were a bunch of poor Christians in Jerusalem. And about a year ago, to the date that he wrote this, the church at Corinth said, we want to help them out. We want to be part, Paul was collecting this money to give to them, to to help these poor people in Jerusalem. And And they were all on board. And so Paul has been boasting to the Macedonian church about the church at Corinth and what they were going to give. Okay, then he goes on and say in verse 3, But I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. So he says, I'm going to follow up. I'm going to send the brothers. Okay, it sounds like some, like some mafia members. You're going to squeeze them, right? We're going to, the brothers are going to come over and make sure that you're not sleeping with the fishes tonight. He says, I'm going to, we're going to check up and make sure that what you said you were going to give a year ago, that, that you're going to follow through on that. Verse 4, for if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then, and we read this earlier, it will be ready as a generous gift, not one as one grudgingly given. A lot of content there, but, but here's the basic idea. The, the, the people, the church at Corinth, they were initially super pumped up about giving this gift to the, to the poor people in Jerusalem. And he says, I'm not sure where you're at now. It's been a year. It's been a while. I'm not sure where, if you're still, where you're still at here. So, so what I want to make sure is that when we come to you, that we're not going to come to you and kind of surprise you. That we're not going to show up and embarrass you. And you're like, hey, where's that gift? And you're like, uh, well, what gift? You know, uh, that's awkward. We don't, we don't have anything. Hey, quick, give me some cash. You know, we don't, we don't have anything. We're not ready. And, and so... Paul's point is he wants this Macedonian church to be encouraged by the giving of this church at Corinth. To see, man, look at what they're involved with. This is amazing, and that will encourage them to do the same thing. See, Paul's main point is that we can encourage others in our generosity, encourage them to do the same as we lead by example. I remember back in 2001, I went on a missions trip to Brazil. And um, we, we got on these river boats, and we were, we were going up the river. And a couple of us stayed at this very poor family's house um, along the river. And that night, we had a very small plate with a very small, tough, kind of gamey piece of chicken. That was our dinner. Next morning, come to find out, I was talking to the, the guide on the river boat. He said that that chicken that we ate last night was the only chicken that that family had. In fact, it was literally all the food that they had left. And when they heard that they were having guests come into their home, they didn't even blink an eye. Let's kill the chicken and feed these people, these rich, fat Americans. And I'll tell you, 
that has forever changed the way I view giving. These people wanted to show us how much they loved us by giving everything that they had. And here I think is, is this American that has way more than a chicken's worth of supply. Now I just hold on to this stuff and just refuse to give it away. It's mine. Paul says one of the ways that God rewards you is by being an encouragement to others. Freely we've received, now freely to give. I'm not saying, you know, that when we're passing the plates later on, that you're like, hey, look at all these zeros, you know? You guys encouraged by how much I'm giving? You know, Jesus said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. We, we, don't, we don't give in order to receive praise from men. But as we as a church, as we as individuals are generous with our time, with our money, God is going to let that light shine, and it's going to encourage other people. I mean, how many times in your life have you seen someone's like, man, God's got a hold of their heart. And look at the way that, that they, they see that everything's from him, and they just are freely giving what they have, and that encourages us to do the same thing. The first harvest that we get is to be an encouragement to others. The second harvest is the ability to give more to others. Paul says in verse 11, he says, you, if, you, if you give, if you, if you sow generously, he says, you will be made rich in every way, so that you can be generous on every occasion. Now again, I'm not putting Paul's words into Paul's mouth. I don't know how much of this he's talking about material. you know. But what he's saying here is that as you give, God's going to give you the ability to give more. As you give, he's going to give you the ability to give more. Now that might not excite you. <laughs> you might say, okay, so I give to people. And then God says, okay, great, thanks. Now here, you, now you can give more away. That's, that's only going to excite our hearts if we truly believe that it's better to give than to receive. If we truly believe that it, there is more joy, there is more satisfaction in giving to others than there is trying to collect as much as we can. And if we truly believe that God is the giver, not the taker. You know, I remember as a kid, back to Christmas morning, nothing jacked me up more than getting presents. But as I get older, I come to understand, man, it's, I get more of a thrill out of watching my niece and my nephews open their presents on Christmas morning. Or my friends and my family. We, we come to find that in God's economy, it, it really is more satisfying for us, and it really is more glorifying to Him when we meet the needs of others. And here Paul says as God's teaching you to give cheerfully with what you can, we can't give what we don't have. He says, as you give what you can, he is going to enlarge your capacity to give more. That is the second harvest blessing that we get when we give. Harvest number three, God is glorified by others. He finishes verse 11. He says, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This is, this is, one of the, this is probably the heart of the issue here that we get, one of the things that we get as a, as, a, as a bounty is the thrill of knowing that there are people in this world giving thanks to God, that they are praising God because of what we've done, because of the gifts that we've given that he gave us. Or to say it this way in verse 13, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity and sharing with them and with everyone else. And here's what I take from that, that verse. That as we give, 
We are showing the true heart of the gospel. That what God gave to us and what we're doing when we give is we are magnifying the person of Jesus through our generosity. That God is being thanked as, as people's needs are met and they thank God for it, as they praise God for it, as they see Jesus in a bigger way because of it. There is no greater privilege. God gets the glory when his people give generously. Now you might say, well, why is that? Doesn't the giver get the glory? Well, exactly. That's why God gets the glory. Remember who it comes from in the first place. You know, when I, when I gave my parents those Christmas presents, they thanked me. But who ultimately gets the praise? That's their resources. That's their wonderful, perfect child that they raised who's so giving, right? What does that laugh about? And likewise, our Father's glorified through us when we give because they're His resources. And it's His giving heart that's beating in us. To Him alone be the glory. So if our giving brings praise to God, if it furthers the gospel, then let's never stop doing it. What a joy and a privilege we have to take part in what God's doing in the world through our giving, cheerful giving. The last harvest is harvest number four. It's meeting the needs of others. Meeting the needs of others. Verse 12, Paul says, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. So primarily, our giving is intended to glorify God, just like all things in our life. That is the chief end of man. But we also get the joy of really meeting people's needs. Let's not forget that when we give, that it does meet real needs here on this earth. The privilege of knowing that my life counts, that God has used me to make a difference in this world. And when we give, I, I think it is important. I mean, we are to give freely, and we can be over-stingy with it. But like Pastor Larry talked about last week, I think it is important to know, are we giving to something that is meeting people's needs? Because there's a lot of people out in the world that want your money, and they're going to stick it in their own pockets and use it for their own ends. I think we can get over overly careful about you know where we're giving we are to give lavishly even if people use us but I, but i do think it warrants the question are we meeting people's needs my friend philip who's a missionary in brazil back to brazil he um he works with the katskayana people this is a people in brazil who before philip and his team got there had never heard the word of god had never heard the name of jesus in their own language and Philip and the team came there, and they, and they brought many things. They, they taught them how to use medicine, how, how to be healthy, how to read and write in their own language, what they had never been able to do in the history of their people. Taught them trades, taught them a lot of things, but most importantly, are in the process of translating the word of God into the Katskayana tongue, so that one day, when we're gathered at that, at that marriage supper of the Lamb, there's another tribe and tongue now who's going to be singing in that chorus. And I've had the privilege to be able to support Philip. And, and just as a little revealer, Philip was actually a super awesome guy. He's that generous friend that I knew. Doesn't look like that guy. And to be able to help in that way and to, to have the privilege of knowing that I can be a small part of what God is doing on the other side of the world. And when we give, whether it's to church or to a neighbor or to a friend, 
we give because it meets the needs of people. That, that we can really end someone's hunger today. That we can really stop the sex trafficking of an innocent child. That we can really provide furniture or running water to someone right here on the peninsula through Love, Inc. And that we can really see a sinner reconciled to their Heavenly Father forever. We have the privilege and joy of receiving from God and giving it to others and seeing their needs met. Now you might say, well, wait a minute. I notice a pattern here. All these rewards, all this harvest, all this bountiful sowing, seems like it's all for other people. Like, we're encouragement to others. We get the ability to give more to others. God will be glorified by others. We meet the needs of others. What about me? And it's incredible here, at the end of this little parenthetical section we're reading, he finishes it with this verse. All this talk about giving to others causes Paul to burst out into this spontaneous praise. It almost feels like, where did this come from, Paul? Look at what he says in verse 15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Thanks be to God. He says, he's given us something I can't even wrap my head around. I can't even explain it to you. It's so unbelievable that I don't even know how to describe it to you. He says, what he's given to us is his son. And in Christ, we've been given everything that we need. In fact, how I want to end this morning is by briefly looking at what, what some of the things, just a drop in the ocean of what, what we've been given in Christ. You talk about we haven't gotten anything, that we're always thinking about giving to others. Well, here's why. Look at what we have in him, in Christ. And each of these verses, the reference, it talks about what we have specifically in Christ. It uses that phrase. In Christ, we were chosen before the creation of the world, before anything came into existence. He said, I want him. I want her. In Christ, we've been loved with an inseparable love. Nothing can separate us, get in in between us and the love of God for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have been in Christ redeemed, purchased, bought back by God out of this world and bondage to sin. And we've been forgiven of all of our sins. We will never have to pay for any of those sins because we are in Christ. In Christ, we've been declared right in God's sight. When God looks at us, he sees perfection. He does not see our sin. He sees Jesus's holiness and righteousness. Because we're in him. In Christ, we're a new creation. That old man is gone and the new has come. In Christ, we have been declared a son and a daughter of the Most High God. In Christ, we've been seated next to God. Right now, spiritually, in heaven, we're sitting right next to him. And we're going to rule and reign with him on the throne of Christ forever. In Christ, every single one of God's promises that he's made to you and me, every single one of his promises are yes We can know that he will be faithful to come through on those promises in Christ. In Christ, we've been made holy, which means we've been set apart. We've been made perfect. We've been removed from the sinfulness of of this world and set apart to him as a holy vessel. In Christ, every single need that we will ever have has been met. In Christ, we've been guarded by his peace. We don't have to worry. We don't have to be afraid. We've been given a peace that passes all understanding. In Christ, we've received eternal life. We're going to live with him forever. And finally, in Christ, we will be one day resurrected and receive a new body and a new home with our Father forever and ever. Amen. 
And if we take God at his word here, if, if we believe this, then we never have to spend another second worrying about ourselves, wondering about our own needs. And we are completely freed up to think about others and to give to them. Freely, I've received all of this, and now freely to give, just as he's given to me. And we can spend the rest of our lives giving to others in the way that he gave to us. So what kind of a heart do you have this morning? Do you see in your heart a heart that it gives, but it's holding on pretty tight, and it's giving reluctantly, and it's given because you feel like you have to, or do you see a heart that gives willingly? and lavishly, a magnet that's been turned in the soul. Instead of sucking everything toward us, we've turned it around, and now we're just pushing everything toward everybody else. And how you answer that question is determined by how you answer the last question. How do you see God? Do you see God in your life as as a guy who's standing over your shoulder saying, give me that, give me that, do that, give me that? Or do you see him as a loving father who's just dumping his blessings on you? Says, I'm going to give you all this seed, and I want you to scatter around this world I'm going to show you how I'm going to bless the world and bless you as you freely give what you freely received. Father, we don't deserve any of this. We deserve nothing but your wrath, nothing but your condemnation. But Father, because your love, not because we deserve it, gave us your Son. And in Christ, we have every need met. We have all forgiveness We have all righteousness. We have all hope. We have all peace. We have every single thing that we're going to need now and for eternity in his person. Father, I pray that we would be the kind of church, I pray that we would be the kind of individuals who would see you as giver, not as taker. And that out of the overflow of thanksgiving to you for what you've given to us, we will freely give to the world around us. Father, may we see our time and our possessions, and we see our money, and we see our relationships as good gifts from you that you've given to us as, as things that we can give away to others to advance your kingdom, to magnify your name, to show the world how much you love it and how much you long to reconcile to it. Father, may that be what consumes our hearts. May the one thing that we ask is, God, how would you have me to spend my money How would you have me to spend my time? May we give generously and willfully, joyfully and cheerfully as you gave to us. Father, thank you for your indescribable gift. And it's in the gift's name that we pray. Amen.